But there's a part of me at Christmas services like this that wants to stand up here after hearing the story again, after seeing those carols again, and just say amen and then go sit back down. The story speaks for itself, powerfully, beautifully, simply. There's just so much comfort in it, so much comfort in a mystery so deep and so profound that cuts through despair, pain, darkness. Part of me wonders if preaching more on a scripture passage like this is equivalent to standing up after a savoring a delicious Christmas dinner and then proceeding to explain the nuances of each and every dish that you just tasted. And yet, like a good Christmas dish that you have every year at Christmas and still manage to savor something new about it, this story of God coming to live with us, among us, always sucks us in and gives us something new to enjoy and savor once more. There is, after all, this inexhaustible sense of mystery and wonder surrounding Christ's birth. Mary and Joseph uh, coming in to Bethlehem tired with no place to stay. Angels appearing to nobody shepherds with the greatest news that the world has ever known. A Savior born in a stable laid in a manger on the hay. Mary and Joseph staring, looking at their baby boy. Shepherds on bended knee, beholding a child that is supposed to be their Savior. The story reveals something divine to us. It makes us look closely at our own stories. Who are we? Why are we here? How is God still with us? There is so much to behold. This year, our oldest son, Gabriel, has really enjoyed playing with our nativity sets, and, and some of them are, are more child-friendly. Uh, and one, more of the, one of the more child-friendly nativity scenes is made of wood, wooden block cutouts of the nativity figurines, and only one side of them is painted with their faces and, and the clothing. Uh, one afternoon, Gabriel asked if I would play with uh, him with the nativity set. I said, yes, of course. So I went in there. He already had had it set up uh, a very particular way, a unique way. I had noticed immediately several interesting things about the setup. First of all, every character from Mary to Joseph to the shepherds to the sheep to the magi were all crammed in as closely as possible inside the little nativity uh, set. I mean, really packed in there tight. Um, it was like dominoes, like one false move, and, and the shepherds would crash into Joseph, who would crash into Mary, and it would be like dominoes going down. I also noticed that you couldn't see any of their faces, except for the baby Jesus there in the manger, barely visible in that crowded stable. So I asked Gabriel some questions. Hey, Gabriel, you have them pretty close together. Do you sure you don't want to spread them out a little bit? No, Daddy, they really want to be close to baby Jesus. How come we can't see any of their faces? Because, Daddy, they aren't supposed to be looking at us. They're looking at the baby Jesus. They want to see him. And I realized that he had turned all of the characters with the faces facing away from us so that they could be looking at Jesus, and therefore we couldn't see who or what was what. Well, this was already a beautiful moment, so I, I kept going. I tried to get deep. 
Gabriel, where is God looking? I asked. Where is God looking? And I fully expected him, you know, to say something. Well, he's looking like we are at it, uh, you know, looking, uh, looking down from heaven, something like that. But Gabriel didn't say that. Instead, without hesitation, he said, he's looking up at the people. He's looking at us. And he pointed to baby Jesus in the manger. I played it cool, but inside my heart was, was pounding and about to beat out of my chest because, of course, he was right about everything. He got right to the heart of the incarnation without even realizing it. Or perhaps he did. I don't know. Because in that newborn, vulnerable baby in the hay was the creator of the heavens and the earth. God looking up at us as one of us. Behold the one who beholds us. Behold the one who beholds us. After Gabriel said this, I, I found myself looking at the Jesus figurine in the stable surrounded by this cast of characters and suddenly found myself wanting to behold the one who beholds me, who beholds us in all our humanity. The story says that the angels told the shepherds not to be afraid that their Savior was born. They would find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. When the shepherds get there, you, you wonder how they gazed at this helpless baby boy on the hay. How their hearts were pounding the joy in their eyes as they looked at Jesus. A Savior for, for people like us. But I also wonder how Jesus looked up at them. How God beheld them in the flesh as those who were on the margins, living in the fields, old clothes smelling like sheep, with utter joy in God's embodied, fast-beating baby heart, pounding with love. This is why I'm here. This is why I've come. You wonder how Mary and Joseph, who have to be utterly exhausted, gaze at their brand new first baby. He's their baby boy, and he's perfect, and they love him. They can't take their eyes off of him. And then, then people come and, and worship him. Strangers are talking about him. They must be awestruck, puzzled. Luke specifically mentions that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. But I also wonder how Jesus looked up at them. How God beheld through newborn eyes the ones who he would depend upon as a child, gazing at them. This is why I'm here. I've come for you. Where is God looking? Daddy, God's looking up at us. I wonder then how God and Jesus Christ beheld us as one of us who embodied humanity. What must it have been like for God to open up God's eyes as a vulnerable human being with flesh and with bones? What must it have been for Jesus to sleep under the stars that he made? To feel the breeze blowing against his his tender skin, 
to hear the sounds through human ears of animals calling out in the stall next door. For God to behold God's creation as a creature. To behold a world, to see people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and therefore folks like you and me, beautiful and yet broken. This is why I've come. I've come for you. If the angels and the shepherds and and you and I behold Jesus with love and wonder, how much more, friends, how much more so does God in Jesus Christ behold us with love and wonder? If the Christmas story of the incarnation tells us anything, it proclaims the good news that God in our humanity beholds us with wonder and with love. In the baby born in Bethlehem, God looks up at us with wonder and love as one of us. Incarnation means that God does not look down upon us as individuals or a world from a distance or with disgust or with anger or with apathy. It might be easy to do considering what a mess we tend to make of things. When we talk about someone, right, looking down on someone else or, or, or something else, we usually mean, right, they're condescending or they're angry or, or they're distant and removed from the situation. But that's, this is not that kind of story, nor that kind of God. And if that's how you've understood God to be, then I'm sorry. Because that's not the God who came to us in Jesus Christ. See, God didn't wait for us to come and find God. God came to find us. Right where we are. And God looks at us as individuals and as a world, not from a distance and not with disgust, but closer than we can imagine with wonder and love because God was one of us, with us. I'm reading a book called Tattoos of the Heart by, Father, by a Catholic priest named uh, Father Gregory Boyle. And he was appointed to the most gang-ridden district in the United States, Boyle Heights, Los Angeles. California, and he started Homeboy Industries to help transform uh, gang members and that community, and it has worked remarkably well, remarkably well. And when you read Gregory Boyle write about the people in this community, you can't help but be struck by how he is able to be present in the middle of the raw and the broken and the imperfect and the messy people and systems of Boyle Heights, and yet still behold it all with deep love and wonder. Every gangbanger he writes about, you think he's talking about his own son or daughter. And he tells of a conversation with 15-year-old Rigo, uh, who's in juvenile detention, and, and Rigo sobs and breaks down as Father Boyle uh, asks him uh, a little bit about him, and, and he breaks down as he shares about how he's been treated by his father. Boyle listens, and then he asks him about his mom. Regal pauses for a beat, says, there's, there's no one like her. I've been locked up for more than a year and a half. She comes, she comes to see me every Sunday. You know how many buses she takes every Sunday to see my sorry behind? 
Then quite unexpectedly, Father Boyle writes, he sobs with the same ferocity as before. And again, it takes him some time to, to reclaim his breath and ability to speak. And, and he does, gasping through his tears, seven buses. She takes seven buses. Imagine, Boyle comments, how then to imagine the expansive heart of God. The expansive heart of this God with us who takes seven buses just to arrive at us. How to imagine Well, the manger is a good place to start. God and the baby born in Bethlehem is able to cover that distance and back. Is able, better even than Father Boyle, to gaze at a world with with so many problems, so much pain, so much brokenness, and still be able to behold it all with love and wonder. God and the baby born in Bethlehem, the one in whom the hopes and fears of all the years meet, is able to hold all of that together with love and with wonder. God is born into all of that, enters it at our level to save us, to be present with us always, precisely in the brokenness and in the darkness and in the sin and the pain and the mess. God in Jesus Christ is able to behold all of that and still look upon it all with love with love because of a baby born in a manger god gazes up at you and me and thinks you couldn't be more beautiful and i couldn't love you anymore the little baby who can't keep his eyes off of his parents mary and joseph that jesus can never take his eyes off of you and me either and that's why we can sing Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Behold the one who beholds us. Friends, I don't know how you come this night. Maybe the world seems dark. Maybe the world seems bright. Maybe you know God's love for you. Maybe you doubt it. Maybe it's just plain hard to wrap your mind around a mystery so deep. But I pray, I pray that we might all turn our gaze and our hearts toward the baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago. Close your eyes if you must. Picture yourself there among the shepherds on your knees in front of a vulnerable baby boy lying on the hay. Picture yourself gazing at the one who is your Savior. God in the flesh, your skin and my skin. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you have experienced or are experiencing, may you behold the one who beholds us. Where is God looking? God's looking up at us. Absolute wonder and love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.